Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. My name is Travis. I'm amazed you're letting me preach again. Last time I preached in here, we didn't meet in here for over a year, so (laughs) we're taking a huge risk on me today. We'll see how it pans out. We'll see how it goes. So I want to start, I have a toddler, and when you have a little child, and hopefully of people of all ages, we like stories, so I want to start with a little story. So one day, there were two fish, and they're swimming along, just doing what fish do, and they come along an older fish, and as they swim by this older fish, the fish says, good morning, how's the water? And the fish just keeps swimming, and as they swim, one turns to the other and says, what the heck is water? And so I think it's a funny story. It's silly. That's it. That's the punchline. What is water? The fish are in the water, but they don't know what water is. And I think it's like that for us. We we come across the world. We come across the things in our world, and we just kind of take them in, but we don't realize what what are the stories that are being told? What is it saying about what does it mean to be human? What is the point of all of this? How do I point, how do I approach my riches, my wealth, my finances? And the world is just telling us things, and sometimes we don't know what the water is. We're not aware of what is actually being told us. And that is true when we also look at Scripture. We come across, as we're going to be looking in James, James also was in his water. He had stories. He had an understanding of, this is what it means for me to be human. This is my foundational understanding of reality. And so my hope for us as we look to James, as we look into the text, and we're going to be talking about wealth, um, that we can, we can sort of dive in and, and see what we can see in some of James's water. We can see what are the things that he cares about? What are the stories that he was told being grown up? What are the things that he believed? Which then, once we take a look at what's going over here in sort of James's pond, we can then bridge the gap and come back over to maybe our pond and invite the Spirit to say, now, what, what would you be saying to us now? What is, what is true in terms of how the Spirit is confronting our own pond and the things that we believe to be true about reality. And so just as a way of reminder with James, James in chapter one kind of opens up and he, he's just sharing a lot of, it's not really a, a letter that has a direct logical flow, but one of the things that's helpful for us that Nick reminded us last week as well is that James speaks and says that everyone is tempted by their own cravings, that they're lured away and enticed by them, that once these cravings conceive, they gave birth to sin. And when sin grows up, it gives birth to death. And we're going to read a very strong portion of James where James is talking about how this, this love for wealth, this focusing in on wealth, that as we give ourselves to that, it can grow up and give birth to death. And it can give birth to people withholding from one another. It can give birth to how we treat one another. And James is very concerned about that. And so I'm going to be reading out of the, the CEB. Um, it's going to be up on the screen. And, and feel free to read along in your own Bible or just listen. It'll be up on the screen. James 5, 1 to 6. Pay attention, you wealthy people. Weep and moan over the miseries coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. Moths have destroyed your clothes. Your gold and silver have rusted, and their rust will be evidence against you. It will eat your flesh like fire. Consider the treasure you have hoarded up in the last days. Listen, hear the cries of the wages of your field hands. These are the wages you stole from those who harvested your fields. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of heavenly forces. You have lived a self-satisfying life on this earth, a life of luxury. 
You have stuffed your hearts in preparation for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous one who doesn't oppose you. And so that's, it's, I think it's probably the most intense portion that we read in James. And so that's why I'm trying to, as much as I can, being Travis, try to read it with a little more oomph. It's because it does have that. It has the sense of James is saying, listen, listen, this is serious. It's following after the prophets who often said, listen, pay attention. Like, come on, listen to me. And so what I want to help us do is maybe see, now what is James even talking about? To understand why he is so strong in his language, we need to remember, as Sean reminded us before, that James is a, a good Jewish man, that he's following his brother, the Messiah, and, and following after Jesus reorbs and reshapes and brings to focus everything that he believed. But nevertheless, he still sees value in the Torah. He still sees value in the stories of his people. And so with that, I want to focus in on what we're going to start looking at one verse, and then we'll move from there. So looking at verse 4, it says, Listen, hear the cries of your weight, your field hands. These are the wages you stole from, the, from those who harvested your fields. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of heavenly forces. And I think my, my conviction is that when, the, when, when we see words like this, and when we're reminded of maybe phrases that say, Hey, this, this kind of sounds like maybe another part of the Bible that I've read. This kind of sounds like the Exodus, that James is, being very, James is being very specific in wanting us to maybe go there, to have that in the back of our head as we read that. And so just sort of as way of like quick reminder, at, we start the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible. Um, we have Joseph, who's, who's been ruling in Egypt at the end of Genesis. Read Genesis for more context. Um, we're not going to do that now. It's a very long book, so lucky for you guys. Um, and so, but the Pharaoh that has come has forgotten about Joseph and his family. And so now Joseph and his family are in Egypt. And what Pharaoh see, sees is one of the things he says, this is free labor. This is great. I have all these people who can work for me. But also Pharaoh, Pharaoh is afraid of these people because he's like, if they realize what, that they could rise up against me and do something about it, I would be in trouble. So in order to stop that, he says, okay, when an Israelite male is born, kill the baby. And what we see here is this deep and dark evil. Um, it's sort of like the, what James is saying, this, this sin giving birth to death. Literally in Pharaoh's actions, we see this sense of saying it has given birth to death, where Pharaoh is willing to say, I need to protect myself. I need to protect what I have going on. So I'm willing to kill the baby boys. I'm willing to commit this awful, awful sin against, against another person. And so we see at the end of Exodus 2, it says, a long time passed, and the Egyptian king died. The Israelites were still groaning because of their hard work. They cried out, and their cry to be rescued from the hard work rose up to God. God heard their cry of grief, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked at the Israelites, and God understood, or God remembered. We see first that God, our Lord, is a God who rescues and redeems, and he invites his people to do the same. God raises up Moses, and God, with Moses, confront the Egyptians. Um, God rescues his people out of the land, and he crushes Pharaoh and his armies in the waters as he comes out. And so even as James is saying, pay, um, pay attention, you wealthy people. Weep and moan over the miseries coming upon you, that being given over to death, the misery of just the, what Pharaoh was trying to reap, and that we see God handing Pharaoh over to that as he's crushed by the waves. And this story of the Exodus becomes a foundational story of how the Israelites believed that their God 
would move or how they believed that God treated them, that he was a God that not because of anything they did, not because they were special, but because God has, has chosen to work with them to say, you are my people, that he has redeemed them and brought them out of the land. And so throughout the rest of the Torah, we see reminders that say, remember, you were a slave in Egypt. Remember what I saved you from. You are my people. Now, in light of this, don't, don't harvest your lands to the point that no one can actually reap. Take care of the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant among you. Make sure that you provide for them. Be loving towards them because I brought you out of the land of Egypt. It becomes this common refrain that we see throughout that, that God's desire for humanity is to, be, to, to follow him and being generous and raising the status of other people and making sure that people are being t- taken care of. So much so that throughout the prophets, it becomes a marker of if God's people are doing what they're supposed to be doing that the Israelites can bring sacrifices, they can do things that look good on paper, but what God is saying is, hey, the widow and orphan immigrant aren't taken care of. You may be sacrificing and doing things that you think are good, but I can see that the fruit of what it means to be my people is not there. I've called you to be a blessing to the nations. I want to release blessing to the nations through you, and you're not doing what I've asked you to do. Remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and I desire to partner with you to release blessing. It's very important to God. But as we see, something has to be done to renew the heart. If the human heart is such that God may move in power, he may rescue his people, but there's something going on in our heart where we say, that's nice, God, but check this out over here. Because because of sin, we're drawn away from God. So we see this tension between God saying, this is what it means to be my people, but I know your hearts are wicked. I know that you're not going to be able to do that. I'm going, you know, I will step in and do something to renew your heart. I will bring about the forgiveness of sins. And we see this tension throughout the whole Old Testament. It's this longing for restoration, a longing for God um, to, to do the Exodus thing again, to bring about the renewal of his people, to free them from, from their slavery, from the things that, from sin, ultimately. And so we see that God rescues and redeems and invites his people to do the same And Jesus helps us to see, he's the one who ultimately does that. He invites us to see where our hearts are drawn away from God. Jesus spoke a lot about wealth and how it relates to the kingdom of God, or the time maybe at the kingdom of God, where the time where God would be king, when God would move in. And he would show us, this is what it means to live as my people. This is what it means for me to be king and for you to be my people here and now. Jesus speaks a lot about it, and, and actually this, this part where in our own passage, where it, from verses 2 to 3, where it says, your riches have rotted, moths have destroyed your clothes, your gold and silver have rusted, and their rust will be evidence against you. It'll eat you like fire. Consider the treasure you have hoarded in the last days. This is almost a direct quote of the way that Jesus talks about money. That money ends up being something that people put their trust in, and they, they allow themselves to be drawn into it. They allow themselves to say, I can build my own. I'm good on my own, God. I can build up what I have, my own empire. I can focus in on that. And God's reminder is to say, hey, all this stuff, the the wealth you have, the riches, it means nothing. In that time, it was common for people to consider um, that if you had wealth, if you had riches, even within Israel, outside of Israel, it meant that you were blessed by God. It meant that things were good. We read throughout the Proverbs, we read throughout Scripture about, hey, those who are able to be wise and prudent with their money, it's a good thing. And it is a good thing. We still are called to do those things. 
But what Jesus is showing us is that because of the tendency of our human heart, we can move beyond this point of being wise and doing what is good with our money to a point of saying, yeah, but I want to spend this on my own gain. I want to use this for me. I want to use it for my own selfish gain. I'm not sure if I trust that God is generous. I'm not sure if I trust that he's actually good. I need to hoard this for my, on my own. And Jesus is able to say that is not something that is going to save you. That will come back to, to sort of to nip you in the butt or to, to get you at the end. He says that wealth is not something that we can idolize, that we can't serve two masters. That as James says, the desire is for us to be whole in God, to follow after Jesus, but our hearts were, were broken, we're torn, we, we're, we're drawn this way and that, and Jesus is able to help people see you can't serve God and money. You can't be focused on these two things. You'll be a house divided, and a house divided cannot stand. And I want to read one particular story of when Jesus talks to a rich young ruler um, and then talk a little bit of what Jesus is saying about wealth through that. So this is from Mark 10, um, verses 17 to 31. As Jesus continued down the road, a man ran up, knelt before him, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus replied, Why do you call me good? No one is good except the one God. You know the commandments. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't cheat, honor your mother, father and mother. Teacher, he responded, I've kept all these things since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him carefully and loved him. He said, you are lacking one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But the man was dismayed at this statement and went away saddened because he had many possessions. Looking around, Jesus said to his disciples, it'll be very hard for the wealthy to enter God's kingdom. His words startled the disciples, so Jesus told them again, children, it's difficult to enter God's kingdom. It's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. They were shocked even more, and they said to each other, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them carefully and said, it is impossible with human beings, but, with, but not with God. All things are, pos are possible with God. And sort of I think as I read that, um, one thing sort of for my own life that stands out that can be helpful is um, Hannah calls me a dragon. Um, for those who have, those, she calls me a dragon, and I'll tell you why. So for those who have read The Hobbit or seen The Hobbit, and I'm sorry if you've seen The Hobbit, they're terrible movies, just read The Hobbit instead. But there is a dragon named Smog, or Smog, I, I'm never sure how to pronounce it. Um, but the thing about Smog is that he, he loves money. And he has all of his riches, and he just kind of cuddles up in it and just enjoys having his money and just wants more and more of it because he's a dragon. Uh, he's also a huge dragon. Um, and so, so the thing is, I also went to Biola, and for people who have gone to Biola, that sometimes means that you bring with you a lot of student debt and student loans as you come out. I was not raised to be um, very good with my money, to be very wise. And so as I was getting to know Hannah, Hannah, on the other hand, was raised to do those things. So she was beginning to help me see, hey, this is how we can be wise with our money. Here's how we can budget, how we can, see, how we can save. And those are all good things. There's nothing, that's something that we should be doing. Because by doing those things, we're able to be generous. That she showed me, hey, if we save our money here for wise and we're, you know, we're generous with it, we're able to actually have more to give to others. We're able to pay off our debts. We're able to not be um, held by these loans that sort of hang over our head and keep us from saying, well, can we do this or can we do that? 
So it was a good thing, and we were able to take care of, the, of that debt. But something else happened along the way, is I began to say, okay, here's my, you know, a little bit of fun money, or here's this, and I just want to hoard it. Like, I want to hold on to it. How much more can I get? How can I hold on to this money? How can it be mine? And I would find myself in situations where it's like, hey, let's, you know, let's go out to eat a meal. I'm like, let me find a coupon. Let me find a coupon where I don't have to pay a cent. Let me find this coupon. Oh, we can get this one free meal. And Hannah would say, but Travis, they're struggling as a business, and their hope is you actually maybe buy something else. And I have to, in my heart, I feel this tension of like, but no, I'm afraid that, like, I don't want to lose my money. And it's become something I think I can relate to this rich and ruler. ruler. And I think a lot of us... Oh, here we go. There we go. Now people, hopefully, oh. It's probably bugging me that more than it's bugging me. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, I can hear myself more now anyway, so that's good too. So, so I can re- definitely relate to this rich and ruler, and I think for a lot of us here, I don't know, maybe for some people you're like, yeah, I get that. Other people, they're like, no, I'm not really a dragon. That's just you, man. But I found myself really struggling with this, wanting to hold on. And God's invitation, similar to the rich young man, the ruler, is he looks at him and he looks at us boldly, but something that stood out to me was lovingly, or he has compassion. And I wonder for us too, as he looks at us lovingly and he's able to see, Travis, this, this, you're being wise with your money, but you've also become really stingy and it's also something that maybe you don't fully trust me with and it's something you're turning in to the point where um, maybe I'm, I'm not a farmer who has people who work for me, but I'm, I'm afraid, I want to withhold because I'm afraid that I'm not going to have enough. It's turned into, for me, like this fear of not having enough. And maybe Jesus' invitation for some of us this morning is to actually look at our hearts and say, in the area of wealth, is Jesus lovingly looking at us and saying, um, Joey, or, you know, saying, Sean, is there some, in your heart, is there something that God wants to, to do? Sorry, Joey, he's <laughs> just right here, <laughs> literally in front of me. <laughs> Joey's taking us to lunch. Thank you, Joey. <laughs> Looking forward to it. No coupons. No, we're, we're going full, full bore. <laughs> and so with that, the, the beautiful thing is Jesus lo- lovingly sees that. But not only that, he sees that the human heart is going to continue to be a problem, and he comes to deal with it. He comes to deal with our sin. He takes on our, our sin and his death and, the resurre- and resurrection. We're not able to, as Jesus says, with man, it is impossible for us to deal with this, this problem of my heart, the problem of me wanting to be a dragon. I can't fix that on my own. I can maybe try to be more generous, but I know my heart will continually want to bend that way, and I need the power of the Holy Spirit. I need the resurrection life of Jesus to bring healing to that part of my life, and only God can do that work. Only God is able to do that. And it's something we have to be aware of because we do live in this time as, as, as we've been talking about this morning where we're, we, we're new creations, that we experience the goodness of being new creations in Jesus. We experience the power of the Spirit. And we live in a world of tension where there's still things, these things that broke because of the sin that we've committed and others have committed against us. We hold, um, we have broken hearts and we need the Spirit to come in and bring healing. We need Christ to come and change our hearts. We have the opportunity to, to, by partnering with Jesus, 
to pick up, pick back up the original calling of humanity and push back against the present age by declaring that Jesus is the true king and we get to invite people to enter into that life. We get to be like Jesus coming to the rich young ruler, asking the spirit to say, what are ways in which like, maybe we can encourage one another, that we can invite Jesus to follow him? So Jesus help us, helps us to see where our hearts are drawn away from God, and he deals with that problem ultimately through his life, death, and resurrection, on the, like death, death on the cross and resurrection. And Jesus renews the human heart, and he also invites us to confront the evils in our own society. And so maybe as we've seen that, as we come back around to James, we can see that for him, as he's, as he's reflecting upon what his brother has said, as he's following his brother and allowing the Spirit to transform his heart, He's able to remember and hold that story of the Exodus. So he sees these people where um, they're working for a farmer, and the farmer says, I'll pay you. And then the harvest comes, and they don't get paid, but they have no choice. And they're, well, what do I do? I need to work, so and I, I have to work for this guy, and I'm not sure if I'm going to get paid, but I have to do something. I have to make a living somehow. And James can see this evil thing, and he can remember the Exodus and say, Remember, our God is a God who sees the cries of his people, and not because we're better than anyone, not because we're more deserving, but because he cares about, he cares about his creation, he is able to bring his people out of slavery, out of bondage. He's able to bring his people out of that. He can remember what his brother has done, what his brother has said, that his brother has done that ultimately for death, for the true Pharaoh of sin and death that has kept us in bondage. He, he did that again. But he knows, too, as a new creation in Jesus, that, that while we're in a present dark age, we're in a world that doesn't necessarily believe the same things, that we're invited to push back against that so that he can actually say, pay attention, you wealthy people. We weep and moan over the miseries coming upon you. He can call out and rail against it, knowing that this is not the way God has intended it to be, that there's a problem with the human heart, and he is not ashamed to speak out and say, hey, this isn't the way it should be. And I know how, what it means to fix. I know what it means for, it, for the right way to do it. And we're going to talk about it more next week. But he says, going on just a little bit, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, you must be patient as you wait for the coming of our Lord. Consider the farmer who waits patiently for the coming of rain and fall and spring, looking forward to the precious fruits of the earth. You must also wait patiently. There's this call to say, we live in a present dark age. We can call out against it, never forgetting the fact that ultimately we have a hope. We have a hope in resurrection life. So then what are some ways if we can take our feet out of James's pond a little bit and come back over to our own and say, okay, Holy Spirit, what might you be saying in our own context now to us? I think one of the ways that maybe we can, we can see this is very practically if there's those in our community who do employ others, who do actually are in a situation where I do pay people um, for work, or maybe it's a gardener, or some sort of service that I'm paying someone for, is ask the question, um, am I paying this person a livable wage? Am I actually paying them what they're worth? Am I paying someone differently based on their, if they're a woman or their ethnic background? Am I being fair? And it doesn't have to, I'm not trying to be political. What I'm trying to say is it's an honest question that Jesus is inviting us to, calling us, commanding that we're generous. And so it's just simply a reality of following Jesus. Um, people can talk about the best way to do that or not, but it's a call for us as followers of Jesus to be generous. And so I think we need to be willing to ask the question to say, apart from my political commitments, what are the ways that Jesus has called me to live? And am I being generous towards others? 
And then maybe for some of us, like me, the dragon, there's also just this general sense of like, I'm not paying someone, but am I willing to be generous towards others? Do I, am I like truly lovingly generous? Am I generous with like holding on one string attached? Like I'm not sure. And the, the beautiful thing is Jesus lovingly is inviting us to, to let go. His, his invitation to let go is not like a forceful command of like, you let go now or else. It's more so, this isn't good for you and it will lead to death if you allow yourself to be given over to it. It's serious, it's serious stuff. But he lovingly is saying, let me help you. Let me help you with this burden. You don't have to live this way. And secondly, one other important thing to remember is that when James, in James's day, um, people did not have the ability to change society. There is no way to write to your congressperson and then see if they'll change. It was more so, okay, you want to write to me? Let's go over and stomp out these Christians. And so let's take care of this uprising. There was no way to actually change things. So maybe another thing is, is, after, is examining our own, what we're doing here in terms of being generous, is saying, what are ways that I can advocate for others that I know? Maybe it's one practical thing is, hey, my friends are being drawn to this MLM, and they're being drawn in and sucked in, and that's something where it's taking their money, and they have no hope of really, they think they'll make it rich someday, but they'll never make it out. Um, maybe it's one way to look at, hey, like there's taxes that are coming in, or there's, there's vote, we can vote on something to say, this actually is unfairly, um, it's, you know, favoring people who are rich already. We can ask questions to say, when it comes time to vote on things, to say, how, how is this helping people? How am I able to help be generous? How am I able to um, be generous towards people? I'm getting tongue-tied. Um, and to look out for those things. If we see someone within our community or someone that Maybe we know to ask for wisdom to say, hey, this person might be get, they might get ripped off at an auto mechanic. Let me help and make sure that they don't get ripped off. Maybe there's things like this payday, because of where they're at, they feel like I need to go and go to like a payday, a payday advance place and get a loan. And we can actually say, no, let me help you because those places will take advantage of you and not care at all about you, not raise a finger to help you. So there's very practical things to just be aware of it to invite the Spirit to see within Fullerton, within maybe people within our community or people that are neighbors to say, hey, um, can I help you in any way? Can I come alongside of you? We can actually advocate for others even more that maybe James was able to within his context. I think a third and final way is to think about, and this is maybe moving out one step, and it's one thing is to think we're consumers. We consume things in our culture and something to think about is as we're consuming, as we're thinking about purchasing clothes, things like that, is if we're able to, to even think about like buying ethical clothing of how can I buy something where I can try, in the best of my knowledge, it's easy to be cynical about these things and not really know like how much are they really paying them? They tell me they're going to be fair and there's livable wages, but I don't know what livable wages in this country. I don't, it's easy to be cynical, and I think it's okay to have a sense of, like, I want to know for sure. It's okay to desire that transparency. But I think sometimes, I know for myself, if I get too cynical about something, I can be held back from doing anything. And in all of this, my encouragement is, like, you don't have to do all of this. This is just ideas. And as you're listening, invite the Spirit to say, okay, is there something here where I can step forward in this? Is there some way that you're inviting me to, um, to advocate for others or to, if I'm going to buy a new shirt, let me try to buy from a company that I, can, I know they're going to pay this person a livable wage. It's not just some random sweatshop and who knows where. Um, but that's, I think, a small, practical, a small way moving out more globally that we can help 
help in some way, but I think more importantly are the first two in looking at locally. Um, I think otherwise we get overwhelmed and we feel like we can't do anything at all, but I do think there's small ways that we can do some things. Um, Band, you can come on up here. So we see that God is a God, our God is a God who's rescuing and redeeming and inviting his people to do the same. That Jesus has helped us to see where our hearts are broken, where the human heart is deeply broken, and he's taking care of that. He's invited us into resurrection life. And as he's renewed our heart, um, even in some translations that talk about repentance, it's the changing of the heart and life, that there's a way that we can also see that our life changes and our way that we use our finances or we're generous with others or that we advocate for others in our community or even in the way that we spend our money and the things that we buy. But like Jesus says to the rich man, the problem at the core of it all is the human heart. And that's something that only Jesus can fix. Jesus also reminds us that we become what we love, that if we give ourselves to money, give ourselves to riches, as James is saying here, we become like gold, that we become like our money that rusts and rots and that becomes nothing, that the things that we give our attention to, we will ultimately become like. Jesus has looked on us closely, and having loved us deeply, he gave his life for us. He takes on the power of sin death, brokenness, all wickedness, he takes that into himself, dying in our place. And his invitation is to no longer surrender to defining good and, term, good and bad on our terms, but to come under him, to invite us to humble, humble ourselves and follow him as king. And in his kingdom, our sins are forgiven, and he lovingly looks at our heart, and he brings healing to those broken areas so that we can have perfection in Jesus. And this is not something that we can accomplish on our own. It's God hearing the cries of his creation has entered into our world to show us what the kingdom looks like and to follow him. He has taken on the Pharaoh that enslaves us all and liberates us from the Egypt of sin and death and into resurrection life. And he is with us now, inviting us to go and proclaim what he has done, reminding that there is ultimately a final exodus we look forward to and all sin and evil is cast away and we have resurrection, new creation. That means that we calling out the need for turning and following Jesus. It means calling out the need for the hearts, for people to repent, to follow him, to submit their lives. And it also means calling out, seeing injustice, call, saying that this is not the way things should be, that it's this tension of both where our culture might want to say, all has to be this, just telling people the way it should be. But we get to hold the both intention and say, no, the human heart needs to change. And the fruit of a changed heart is seeing society change. We can fight for both. We can fight for both. We can look forward to the resurrection of new heavens and earth and today partner with him in saying no, saying that wickedness has no place in the kingdom. Loving wealth has no place in the kingdom but instead can be a tool that is used for inviting others to follow him, can be a tool that is used for building up his body, for building up the church, can be a tool for advancing the kingdom, but does not have to be something that we're gripped by and enslaved to. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who lovingly looks at us, who has seen our hearts, has seen the things that we are drawn to, to see the sin that we're, we're drawn into. You see, you know the severity of that, that that is death, and yet you have come to take that on. Your desire is not for us to be slaves to sin, to not be destroyed by that sin, but instead to have new life in you. 
And we thank you that you have welcomed us into that, that all you ask is that we submit ourselves to you to follow after you, to pick up our cross um, and follow you. We thank you for the privilege we have to fight back against the dark age that we see, that ultimately that we can't fight by, um, we don't fight by force, but we fight by the power of the Spirit, that we're not warring against people, that we're warring against the powers and principalities that hold people captive. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, would you give us discernment and wisdom of where to speak back against things, where to speak truth and life, where to partner with you, um, and where to proclaim in all places that you are Lord and that you are King and to invite others to submit themselves to you. So we thank you for this privilege. We thank you that we're not doing it in our own strength, um, but we pray that you would empower us to join you in what you're doing. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.